All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And I am so excited today to have Chief Master Sergeant Robinson Joseph on the podcast with us today. Chief Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, John. I'm glad to be here, glad to be here. Hey, first of all, my friend, after 30 plus years, 31 years? Yes, 30 30, years. 30 years, man. Thank you for your service. Thank you, my pleasure. Oh, man. And I got to tell you, so uh, everybody out there listening, I had the joy and the privilege to go to Germany to do some training for the Air Force. I guess it was about uh, two years ago now. And that's where I got to meet Chief Joe. And everywhere I went on base, everybody was talking about this one guy who's just like, oh, man, this guy's amazing. He made me better. He was my mentor. He stretched me. He pushed me. And people that weren't even in your command, Rob. And I got to tell you, and then I found out you were actually going to be in the class that I taught. I was totally intimidated. I'm like, oh, man, I got to work with one of the best leaders in the entire Air Force. And he's coming in. We got to work together. And I can tell you, it was an absolute blessing. And through that, we've just become friends. And I was just at a seminar in D.C. and I got to see you speak. And, man, it was amazing. You're just so talented. But really, what I saw was really the core principles. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Of What does it take to really have a leadership philosophy that is so authentic to who you are that it makes everything around you improve and get better and level up? And we're going to get there. And so I'm just excited to have you on. And, but here's what I'd like to do is maybe kind of start from the beginning and just kind of walk us through your whole journey. Because I'm guessing that through a lot of highs and lows in your life is kind of what shaped, you know, who you are, what you do, and how you do it today. Because that's what I'm seeing, right? Um, right. I'd love for you to, to kind of bring us back, my friend. Well, John, you know, as you know, first name is Robinson, last name is Joseph. So starting off with, even with my introduction, <laughs> my name is backwards. So it throws people off for a loop there. So I have to have a sense of humor in life because my parents has one by giving me this outstanding name of Robinson. You know, because like, like most Robinsons, very, a lot of famous Robinsons, like Robinson Caruso, and that's about it. Swiss and Family so, Robinson. Swiss Family Robinson. But unfortunately, that's, that's their last name. So very, <laughs> very few people have the first name Robinson. That's true. So yes. That being said, you know, I'm, like I said, my first name is Robinson, so I live with a sense of humor by carrying that name. I'm number nine of ten. I'm the ninth child of a Haitian immigrant family. I was the first one out of my family to be born in the U.S. My parents came over in the United States in 1968. I was the first one to be born um, in the U.S. I've, it's funny that I've met my, most of my other siblings probably when I was seven, because my parents, when they immigrated over, they had to leave the other seven children, other eight other children over there. So I met him when I was seven. So it's great having a large family, hand-me-downs, um, beatings from my brother, beatings from my sisters as well. So it helped me become the person that, that I am today. You know, I will never admit that to them. But um, yeah, so I, you know, I went to, the, um, went to college for two years playing soccer, got tired of playing soccer all, all year long. Then I decided, so you know what, let me try something different. Let me join the Air Force for a couple of years, see the world. So 30 years later, after seeing the world, I'm about to call it quits. It went by fast. I'm married to a beautiful wife who's also serving, who's also a chief in the United States Air Force. She, we're retiring the same exact day. Um, later on this year, we're going to start our new chapter of life together. We have three beautiful children. We have an older daughter who's currently residing in Oregon, a son who's actually in the Air Force now. Then our last bundle of a joy, 
our 11-year-old daughter who's living with us as we speak today. So I'm looking forward to that, this conversation today, Johnny. Maybe I can tell you a few things from some philosophies I've lived by, some stuff I have grown into that became the person that I am um, and the chief I am in the Air Force. So looking forward to this conversation. Well, yeah. Well, coming out of that family, it, when your family moved over here and most of your brothers and sisters were back in, in Haiti, how was that? I was. I thought I was the only child for the longest. Like, then I, then I had another sister. I thought I was the only child, and I saw pictures of other individuals in the family. I did not know there were I had other outstanding um, brothers and sisters out there. But I guess when I when they came over when I was seven, I was instantly the last man on the. I was my hierarchy position changed in my rankings, so I dropped down in the standings of the AP poll, and I uh, became the no, number nine real quick. You know, instead of number one. So um, it, was, it was interesting, you know, learning the different personalities of my siblings. It's like with anybody. You have to learn um, the do's and don'ts, their traits that um, trigger them, that motivate them, and vice versa. So, but the great thing is my parents instilled us um, loving and respecting everybody from a young age. So it didn't matter if I met uh, my new siblings or a new uncle or a new mailman. I still treat them with respect as I approach them, as I greet them. So um, the transition wasn't as tough as I thought it would be because it was instilled in me long before they even arrived across the water. Well, that's awesome. So growing up, right, going up through high school, making that decision to leave college to go into the Air Force, who were some of the influences, kind of mentors you had in your life there that were kind of shaping how you were kind of developing into a man? You know, um, raised in a Haitian culture, we are a very patriarchal society. So um, my father, of course, you know, was a big influence in my life. And of course, the, all the males in my family were um, big influence. So I try to always try to be like my five other brothers. I believe I have a little bit of trait from each one of them, from personality, from a sense of humor, to my math skills, to my, you know, whatever it is. I, each, I got a little bit from each one of them, but the patriarch, the main figure of it was my father. And now as I get older, as I have a family of my own, I have, just, I have realized I'm starting to slowly become him. Some of my characteristics, some of my mannerisms, are of my father, so um, I have to give him full credit. You know, um, I love the man. I appreciate. I respect that he made me the man I am today. So any praise that you want to give to me, you have to give it to him. Well, you know what? It definitely shows in some of. The, I, you know, you talked about how you treat people, everybody around you, with just respect and. So, you know, here's John, here's, let me give you, John, let me give you an example. I, yeah. I remember when I was a young, I was a young man driving. I was I was raised in Jersey. As you know, Jersey has the, the infamous New Jersey Turnpike. You know, every five feet, you're paying a toll, all right? So I remember sitting in the back seat with my father, and as we approach each toll booth, he'll say, hey, good morning, John. Good morning, Jane. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Sam, how you doing? This is the toll booth attendants he's speaking to. So my mother would sit on the, in the passenger seat, roll her eyes, and be like, oh, would you just come on? And that taught me, you know, um, just be nice to them. No matter who they are, just be nice to them. So now as I'm driving through the gate, you know, through the base installation gates or the cashiers at the exchange or the gas station attendant, I see myself doing the same thing. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning, Sam. And under my right is my wife who's rolling her eyes now. I'm like, oh, would you just come <laughs> on now? So it's, it's one of those things. And I believe that, hey, if I could say hi or good morning to whatever that, whoever that individual is, I mean, if I say hi to 20 people, maybe I can make the day of at least one person. You know, so, um, and, I, and I find the joy in that. So, and that's one of the things, like I said, I, one of the mannerism characteristics I got from my dad, and, and um, that's a good example of that. 
That's right. You see everybody else's, you, you know what? Yeah. And I noticed this in you, right? You see the value in everybody around you. Yes. It's not like, you know, they're a toll booth taker and I'm, you know, chief master sergeant. So there's a difference, right? You, you don't. And I think we need to do more of that across everything that we do. Right. And, you know, here's a question that just popped into my head. After 31 years in the Air Force, an amazing marriage, and you have great relationships with all your kids with the deployment schedules, the operations tempo, everything that's going on, the divorce rate in the military and also in business is really high. And there's a lot of people that have not been able to balance, I think, succeeding in a, a very demanding career and succeeding as in your family. And how have you been able to do that? I'm, I'm guessing there was probably some highs and lows in, in that part of how you were able to lead in both areas. You know, I have to say, I've been married to my wife over 15 years now, and we never had a fight. I wish I could say that's the truth. But, you know, as with, <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish I could say that was the truth. But as you know, with, um, there's always give and take. You know, as we learn to develop and grow with each other, the faith, you know, the reason, we always come to the reason of why did we get married? Why do I know? Why did I get down on my knee and propose to you? Why did you agree to say yes? So um, it's, at times, being, I mean, key leaders in, our, in the Air Force, um, there's only one time where we both had to deploy simultaneously. And that was kind of rough, but we were separated for six months, for eight months total from each other. We had to send our kids to Puerto Rico to my in-laws. But, and then she went to a, a more cushier location than I did. So as we separated from each other, you know, I'm, I have incoming missiles and rockets. I'm running to bunkers, but I would never inform her of the situation I'm in just to assure that she will have no stress or, or no worries or, she would translate that onto my kids. So communication mm. was very important to us, understanding what would stress my wife, understanding what would stress my kids. Um, I tried to, um, to filter that information from them. So, um, so that's one of the things that we did. Unfortunately, I mean, I said fortunately for us, one year I had to experience being separated from each other simultaneously only one time, but I had multiple deployments where I had to leave the family, where I had to miss kids' birthdays. But I have great kids. I'm glad they understood that I was serving the country. But um, I made sure that I found time to, when I did come back home, to have those celebrations, have those Valentine's Days with my child in, in October, have that Christmas Day celebration in February with them when I got back. So those holidays were not lost. It was just delayed. I just changed the date. You know, calendars, you know, we could always change the date. You just find ways to make it special to them. So that way I'm not a chapter in their book. When they get older, like, hey, my dad did this, or he was never there. So... That's one of the things that we have done to have to accommodate that. Well, and I love what you said right off the top, man, is, you know what, keep revisiting, you know, what your why was. Hey, why we got married, right? right? What's the kind of dad you want to be, right? You had a great role model in your dad. And then, you know what, some of us who didn't have a great role model, we know what we don't want. So we can actually use that to actually get some clarity right. on what we do want. I think that was so important that you said is, hey, get back to... What was it about that woman that just, just, man, you couldn't wait to call her. Remember, I remember right. when we were dating, Don and I, our phone bill every month was more than our, my rent payment when I was first out <laughs> in the Navy. Right. I mean, just trying to get off the phone at the end of the day. I love you. I love you. Yeah. I love you. Like, I love neither of us wanted to hang up. It's like, exactly. you hang up first. Honey, no, I got to get first. up in five hours, right. man, I, but I'm not hanging up first, right? Right. You know, sometimes we forget that why we had the kind of that first love 
Right. right. Like those butterflies you got in, so that giddiness that you had when you spoke to her. Sometimes you forget that, you know. So when you're having those rough spells with your loved one or whatever, just try to rem- just remember. Just remember, say, okay, I remember a reason why. So then that's what kept us going over the years. That's awesome. Now, through all this, right, your career, what were some of the big challenges you had? I think, you know, going up through the ranks from, uh, you know, a very junior enlisted airman all the way through the highest rank. If people aren't familiar, Chief Master Sergeant is the most senior rank in the Air Force. So what were some of your highs and lows as you kind of made that leadership uh, journey? As you know, as you being a former military, you know the military um, has a general, it's an A-type personality. As you progress in your leadership role, you're supposed to have this structure, this firm, strict structure of how you're supposed to communicate with folks, how you should understand the mission comes first. Executing the mission was, was your sole purpose in life. You know, as I developed in the Air Force, as I grew in the Air Force, that wasn't my goal. I strongly believe that, you know, God, family, and then God, family, and people were more important than the mission. Because I always believed, hey, the mission's gonna happen no matter what. You know, if I don't take care of God, family, or people, you know, all those planes we have on the flight line will just be a museum. Because it takes people to fly them. And that's what the philosophy, that was probably the hardest thing of, I was unconventional in my train of thought, unconventional in my delivery. So, and at the same time, I think that's what made me successful. Because people got, it's a breath of fresh air to what they've been accustomed to. So I think I'm fortunate that uh, my upbringing allowed me to think that way, develop my philosophy as such, and, that, and that's allowed me to execute it as, as that, John. You know, here's something interesting, because what I'm hearing in that is that you had a really strong sense of identity. Because just saying what you said, especially if you're, you know, in E4, 5, 6, in that range, right? And you're, and you're saying, hey, God, family, and people are actually more important than the mission. That's how we get the mission done. That is definitely kind of countercultural. It was, especially when you're, young, when you're a younger person or a younger person in the military, where you don't have the authority to really execute. I mean, people want to, you always had a, that, a superior person on top of you. You always had a leader on top of you. But um, to think that way was not normal in the Air Force, you know. So when I got into position of authority, as I gradually moved up the ranks and I started telling people my philosophy and my subordinates started to say, hey, my team was executing better, my organization was executing better. And that was because of my philosophy and that felt because it was unconventional to what people were accustomed to. And where did that philosophy come from? And I think it came from my parents, my upbringing. I think I'm from the Haitian culture, you know, and like I said, back to that respect thing. You know, I respect, and I had, a, I had an individual that worked for me. I'm big on respect, like from greetings. He'd say, hey, good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Sam. I had a, a young female airman, NCO. One day she walked past me when she, she didn't say nothing. She walked past me again. She didn't say nothing. And I was like, hey, Sergeant, Sergeant so-and-so. I said, um, did we carpool together? She was taken aback by that. I said, because it's obvious you did not acknowledge me. You did not say anything to me. I assume you thought I was in the car with you when we came to work. So she was taken aback by that. So a couple hours later, her supervisor came to me and said, hey, chief, you know, you really hurt so-and-so's feelings. And I was like, what? me being, if I hurt somebody's feelings, I'm not, even though I'm the big chief, it's not above me to go apologize. If I, but that was not my intent. So when I said, no, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll call her in and I'll apologize to her. So I called her in and then she said, I called my dad. I called my dad on you. I said, that was the first, that was the first time I ever had an individual call their dad on me. 
but he, she said, when I had a conversation with my dad and I told him what happened, he was like, he is right. You know, you gotta, it's a matter of, everybody been taught some kind of respect, you know? And from then on, I realized, say, hey, my philosophy was, if I had a parent call me, a loved one, a daughter, an uncle, a father, or sister, if they was to call me and ask me, say, hey, why did you talk to my dad that way? Why did you talk to my sister? Why did you talk to my loved one that, one, that way? Um, how would I react? So treating with everybody with respect, no matter of the junior enlisted to the highest general, because if their loved one was to call me and ask me, why did I treat their, their loved one that way? I'll have the answer of saying, hey, I treat everybody with respect. So then that's the philosophy that I live by. I live by, hey, if a parent was to call me, would I be able to answer fully saying, hey, I treat your individual respect, you know, so there would be no reason to have retribution against me for talking to your loved one in a certain way. Yeah, and so I love what you did there because you saw somebody, the sergeant, doing something, kind of ignoring people around her that from your perspective was probably not helping her effectiveness as a leader and in her role, right? right? She wasn't developed. So you wanted to call that out. So I think it's important that we give feedback to people in a constructive and uplifting way. But then you did something that I thought was remarkable and outstanding is when somebody came to you, instead of being, well, why did she go to her supervisor and, you know, talk smack about me? It wasn't just, you could have had a very different reaction. And a lot of people probably would have had that reaction. But your first thought was, you know what, if I did disrespect her, even if she feels that way, even if the truth is I didn't really, I still need to go apologize to her. Correct. That is the heart of somebody I think who's going to be an amazing leader. But where did that come from? I think it came back because I have a son who's in the Air Force now, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel that if his NCO or his lieutenant or his general was to um, disrespect him uh, outside his character, of course, I don't mind a good scolding now and then, but there's no reason to belittle someone or disrespect them because what we fail to realize, especially in society, that the people that you are disrespecting or belittling or whatever, they have responsibility. They probably married. They probably have a wife. They probably have a son or whatever of responsibility. So there's no reason to belittle an, an adult. So I believe that um, now that I have my son in the Air Force, I say, hey, this could easily have been my son the same way this person is somebody else's daughter. So I try to treat them with respect. And I think it's because the way of my upbringing, you know, treat with everybody respect, the toll booth person to the mailman. So treating with everybody respect is very, very important to me. So question for you, because this comes up all the time, both with people I work with in the military and in business, right? You're being that kind of leader that you want to be that honors who you are. You know, you're just being authentic to your values and to yourself. But you have that leader who's above you in that org chart who is not that person, right? They're, right. they're not a good leader. They're demanding. They can put you off. They don't have your back. They see you as a tool for them to get their next promotion or bonus. What advice would you give to people out there listening right now that are maybe working underneath a very challenging person? The thing about working in a toxic environment is probably the hardest thing you could do Mm -hmm. to test your emotional fortitude. What you can do when that have experience, I I worked for an individual that was really demanding, really tough to work for. But what I've come to realize from my position, there's so many layers beneath me that my subordinates would never know that I had a... I was in a position where it's tough to work for. Okay, that was my, meaning that um, the subordinates underneath me didn't, didn't. I didn't relay that information, showing that I'm under pressure. 
I'm having a hard time with this super with this leader. So that's one thing I try to make sure because it has nothing to do with them. Now, what so, I try so to it was do, your goal to kind of be that buffer. I had to be that, that buffer between that toxic person and those people that were depending on you. Correct. I try to have the broader shoulders to carry that weight. Now, mm-hmm. there comes a time where there's so much weight you could carry. The great thing is, the thing about sometimes people who are toxic leaders, they probably don't think they're toxic. They probably really don't think they're toxic. So I had to have to sit down and shut the door and have an adult conversation with this individual and say, hey, sir, this is how I feel. This is how it's affecting me. I'm not being as effective as you want me to be because of this, this, and that. And having that that straight, honest conversation with that individual, because sometimes awareness is something that they probably don't have, awareness of how, because they've always been operating this way and nobody has confronted them or told them that their style is toxic. So having that courage to do that is probably one of the hardest things you can do, but that's one of the first things an individual should try to do. And a lot of people either don't have that conversation because either they're unequipped to do it, they've never been really modeled how to have a conversation like that, or they fear retribution or some kind of blowback. When you had that conversation and you did it well with the right heart, did you ever experience a negative consequence or outcome? Uh, yes, because you saw the human nature. Because when somebody give you when somebody give you feedback, it's how a person receives it. Uh, especially when the person is in a great thing, not the great thing, but the thing about the military, um, talk to a superior. Yeah, they really can treat you pretty much anyway because they have the legal right authority to enforce a standard that they, that they created themselves. But to be, I think all leaders want to be productive, you know, yeah. because everybody works for somebody. And telling that leader, say, hey, the organization could work so much better. You would look so much better you, I mean, this, you, you try to put it back on them. You look so much better if we try it this way, if you don't do this or you don't do that. And I think in it, and everybody has a motivation, finding a way to motivate. You could always motivate up. A lot of people fail to motivate up. People always want to motivate down. You could always motivate up. Because if, if I'm working for a leader who's trying to get that next promotion and I know his style is being toxic, I said, okay, you know what? He wants, his motivation is to get promoted. If I come at him at an angle saying, hey, sir, ma'am, if you do this, I think if we do this or do this, this will look so much better for you. It'll probably get you to where you want to be. But at the same time, it's really where I feel the organization should be and where the, the team members should be as well. I love that. You know what you're talking about is everybody's favorite radio station, WIIFM, <laughs> which is what's in it for me. Exactly. You know what? So here's the thought for everybody out there listening, because I, you know, these conversations need to happen. We need to understand how to do them. And if you listen to what Rob just said, right, is first you think about what would benefit that person. You also said that they might not even be aware of their certain behavior and how it's coming across. And actually, if you study this and the psychology behind this, I don't know how they came up with this number, Rob, but the average number of blind spots that a person has is 3.4. So I don't know where the 0.4 comes from, (laughs) but I'll guarantee you there's things, even with your personality, there are certain people that just don't gel, right? And it might not be your fault. It could be maybe how I was raised, things that happened to me as childhood. Maybe somebody else who was really pleasant and outgoing is somebody that earned my trust and then betrayed me in a way that was really painful. I have no idea what's in somebody's backstory. 
And I always want to be sensitive to that. So how I always approach it, the first, my first thing is in humility. And this is how, what I heard you say. And you know what, in my mind, it's, you know what, I could be wrong. This actually might not be Chief Joe's uh, problem. This actually might be me. So if I approach the situation in some humility, and then you were talking about how you feel. The other thing I always have to think about is, uh, and this was for me, was in pre-forgiveness. Because let's say you did something to me, maybe you called me out in a meeting and I felt embarrassed, right? And right. So I'm just sitting there and I'm spinning about it and it's bothering me, it's keeping me awake at night. I actually have to work through that, I believe, before I can, I think, approach you and have a good conversation. Because I know from my, I knew my own habits at the time, I would kind of get defensive or get angry pretty quickly. So if I didn't work some of that out before I had the conversation, the other thing is focus on the facts. I think you can focus on the facts and how those facts made you feel. But if you start telling a whole narrative that you did it because of this agenda, all of a sudden it's not going to be productive, right? Right. And, and I think the other thing, and you've talked about this a couple of times, even with that sergeant who wasn't talking to you, you know what? You do it in love. And here's what I mean by this, is that you care more about that person and their success than you care about maybe how they feel about you. Does that make sense? That is absolutely true. Right? Because like, you right. know, you might want to come and give me some feedback like John, and I've gotten this feedback like John, you do this, this and this. And it comes across as you don't value our opinion that you're very arrogant. And we're just here to get your stuff done. Right? Because right. I'm a person who likes to make a decision and be in motion. And I was overusing something that's part of my personality in a way that was really off putting. And I was very grateful. I didn't realize that I was the person causing the problems on my team that I was frustrated with. And one person on the team actually came and gave me that feedback. And I was so grateful. It was hard to hear, but I got to tell you, I was incredibly grateful. So you can give somebody a huge gift. And I think if you do it this way, though, with humility, with pre-forgiveness, focus on the facts, do it in love, and focus on how this is going to help them. The likelihood of you actually having a negative interaction or blowback in the future is going to be very minimal. Doing it with love is so important, John. You know, till this day, that young NCO, she later on got commissioned. She's a captain in the United States Air Force now. She mm -hmm. calls me at least once a month, you know, how say, cool is hey, that? it's amazing. You know, how's my favorite chief doing? You know, she, you know, as I retired, she said, you know, she planned on coming out to my retirement. We have, we built a great relationship because it was out of love and respect. I wanted the best for her. You know, I wanted her, you know, to make her a better leader. So, and I think she realized that I did not, you know, and the fact that I was, you know, I had the courage to, if I could have been like the old sergeant in the 1940s and ignore and say, hey, I'm a chief, she's a sergeant, she better take it and, you know, and, and kick rocks. You know, I could have easily done that. But the fact that I got off my pedestal and went approached her and to apologize, it showed that I'm human. It showed that I'm human and I respect her and I just really honestly want her to do well. Like you said, and it's coming out of love, a lot of love and respect. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, through this whole journey, Rob, how has your faith kind of informed, you know, what you've done and how you've showed up and, you know, through the highs and the lows? You know, like I said, I was raised in a Haitian family, you know, big, you know, we were raised seven day at Venice, you know, so my parents, um, we went, to, I went to Catholic school all my life, you know, so my faith, you know, I read a lot of books, you know, I read a lot of faith based books. So um, the great thing is, I realized and I always talk to my parents or my fellow church member for wise counsel. Because, you know, not every day is all rosy and sunshine. You know, you know some people will test your faith. That's you know, true. some people will test your faith. Some people will test your fortitude. Some people will test you in, in so many different ways. So having that person that you can rely on. The hardest thing is when you're a senior leader like I am is showing, uh, not showing weakness. You know, so what I, you know, 
but you have when you to say not showing weakness what do you mean by that showing not with it the thing people always expect you in your position to be you are the go-to person you cannot be weak you cannot have no faults you cannot be faltering or whatever but you should be the expert i'm going to go to this person right. because they yes. will make the decision you have that I'm pressure not. to do all that no, right exactly i'm a little haitian little kid from elizabeth new jersey no i'm not the expert <laughs> i am not the expert you know but I probably know somebody who is more well-versed on it. I could mm -hmm. call John. I could call my good friend Bob. I could call Sally and so on. You got to build that network of people that you, you rely on who has the best interest in you in developing you and uh, helping you overcome sometimes those rough patches, those obstacles that you have in life. So I build that core of friends and faith faith um, people that could help me in those rough times. You got to have somebody you could talk to. Yeah, and I think it's important because what you just said, right, is uh, you hear a lot of leaders say it's lonely at the top. And people right. that tell me that, you know what it says to me is they have not done a good job building those kind of relationships you just talked right. about. Because right. if I'm lonely at the top and I don't know somebody at church, a mentor, somebody else who maybe uh, you used to work with in the Air Force who's in another area or somebody in your company who's now in another division, if I didn't have some people like when I had to make some big decisions to go to, right? And sometimes you don't want to go to your boss or people like right, right up the chain of command because they are looking at you to be that expert. So yeah, I really want yeah. to think through and process everything as best I can with people that I trust and respect maybe before I go up to get an opinion above me, right? Right. So, John, people who say they're lo it's lonely at the top, they were lonely when they was at the bottom. They was lonely mm -hmm. when they was in the middle. So they just brought that loneliness up with them all the way up to the top with them. So like you said, you always got to have that comment that people you could reach out to, that church, that your person on your softball team, somebody is always out there to reach out for you. You know, we had a, you know, before we turn on air, we had um, that conversation about the way of society has, you know, we had an all time low, high on, on suicide rates and depression mm -hmm. and all that. That's because we're not engaging with folks. We're not engaging with folks. We're not reaching out to folks to communicate with them like we used to. So we have to continue to do that, John. You know, it's interesting um, that you say that. Uh, this weekend, um, my, a good friend of mine and my pastor, uh, Keith Boyer, uh, was giving a sermon on friendship. And I can't remember where he got his data, but this was all database. But 25 years ago, the average person here in America had six to eight people in their circle, uh, what we would actually call true friends, right? People that you could go talk to, you spend time with, you could be yourself with, those kind of things. Do you know what the average is right now in America? How many, in that same definition, how many close friends the average American has today? I don't know, John, tell me. How many, I would say half of that, maybe? Not even, one to two. That's sad. So think about what you just said, right? So as if we really wanna have, I think, success as a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, is a business leader, military leader in church, wherever you are, you've been led into for your sphere of influence, intentionally actually going out and developing new relationships that turn into friendships of people is critical. And I love the saying, right? You are the average of your five closest friends. Right. Right. I'll guarantee you if I'm in the military or I'm in a company and I surround myself with five people, you know what, that have learned how to deal with maybe a couple toxic leaders, that they're great at developing people that 
they keep talking about their spouse in just these glowing terms. And those are the people I surround myself with. I am going to elevate my thinking, my habits, my behaviors to that. Conversely, though, if I'm going out and having beers with the guys that always complain about their wives, complain right. about the boss, this wasn't fair, I got overlooked because of this or that, instead of, you know, hey, what can I do next time to make sure that I'm the only person they think about, you're going to get pulled down to that level. So I'm not telling you to kick all your friends at the curb, but you might want to look in your world and say, do I need to add right. somebody? Do I need to upgrade? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Good point, John. Well, let me ask you this. So at your level, right, as one of the most senior leaders in the Air Force, just kind of looking out at the landscape of under the topic of actually developing leaders, right? Because you've done an incredible job. I think that's why so many people were coming up to me, the sergeant who's now a captain, everybody who I met who's kind of, in, you know, in your sphere of influence that I met just when I was in Germany. What advice would you give to other people out there you know, our age, we're both in our, you know, you're 50, I'm 53. Um, this incredible opportunity we have to develop these leaders that are coming into the workforce right now. They're in their, you know, early 20s to mid 30s, right? What do you think it really takes to bring somebody up to their full potential, both professionally, personally, and as a leader? You know, everybody joins um, an organization or a team or a club for a reason. Okay, obviously as time evolves, that reason or whatever changes. But with the initial reason of why you joined the Air Force, you might want to see the world. You might want to get your education. You might want to do this. You know, do it. Do it. Um, I always tell it, when, I, when young NCOs come to me, I always ask them, hey, why did you join the Air Force? They say, well, I wanted to get my college degree. Are you taking classes? No, because I want to go downtown and have a couple beers with the new guys. I want to see this. You know, I always try to bring them to the reason why you join the Air Force, you got to have those small wins first. You mm -hmm. got to have those small wins first. That's the way you could feel a sense of accomplishment. You say, uh, it's okay. If you knock out the school, you could go have, go see sightseeing, go taste, do your wine tasting down right or whatever. But at least know the reason why you join. Now, if you join the baseball team because you want to improve your batting average or you want to win your local, you know, the championship, Strive for that goal. Continue to strive for that goal. Don't give up because you didn't get it the first time, you know. Or if you join a company, you know, because you want to have a better income for your family, work hard and try to get that promotion. But find a way to make the company more money. Whatever it is, whatever reason why you join it, expound on that. Because people, once they get into a position or they uh, finally reach the goal they want to do, they stop. They stop. It, it deviates and they just quit. Or they. And so I always try to tell people. Continue whatever the purpose you what you had for joining that team or the club or whatever. Make sure you get that done first, and then work on the next goal. Mm -hmm. And then, what when you're mentoring leaders and really trying to work at, you know, shaping them into a mindset like you have, right? That you're forward looking, that you're you're positive, you're caring about your people, God, family, people. Because I know the other thing you shared when I heard you speak, and we talked about before we we started, right? Your entire leadership philosophy all centers around educate, engage, and enjoy, right? Yeah. Now, yes. a lot of people aren't there, but how do you help, you know, just think of people listening right now. They have some people, young leaders, they see that potential. They're not focused on maybe those small wins, those goals, enjoying what they do. Let's say you had somebody who just promoted, you know, who's a, uh, you know, senior master sergeant, right? And they're really working at developing some leaders underneath them. And, and they're just 
you know, it's kind of average, right? They're, right? How would you help them? What would you share with them to be more effective at actually developing the potential? Well, the three thing is, we have the thing, we know, with that 360 degree feedback. You know, mm-hmm. we always, I believe mm-hmm. in the 360 degree feedback. I say, you know, you're always going to get feedback from your superior. They're like, John, you know what? You didn't make go this week. You know, I need for you to go out there and sell more vacuums, you know? But if you ever get the John probably, the John, the vacuum salesman is probably not really getting feedback from the customers in the neighborhood or probably not getting feedback from his peers on how he's selling those vacuums. So I always believe in 360 degree feedback. So when I get, a, if I have a brand new senior master sergeant who wants to say, hey, chief, I want to go to the next level. I want to lead a larger organization. I always ask them, hey, how do your subordinates feel about you? You know, how do your peers feel about you? It's easy for me to tell you how I feel about you or what I see your shortcomings are. But it's the people that you work with. It's the people that work for you. That's going to give you the feedback that you're probably going to need to reach that next level of success that you want for yourself, you know, cause you might have, like we talk about those 3.4 um, blind blinders. Blind spots. Have. Yeah. Yeah. Those blind spots. Yes. And I bet you that 0.4 is probably your neighbor. That other three is probably the subordinates, the, your friends, the people you work with. So understanding your blind spots, your weaknesses and working on them is very important. It's very important. So I love what you just said. It's almost like, you need to reach out and solicit feedback to kind of understand almost like what your leadership brand is, right? Yes. And then right. you have to make a choice to act on that feedback versus because, you know, sometimes feedback comes in that we agree with, it kind of matches our identity. We might not like it, like, hey, John, you're arrogant. As soon as they said that, I didn't like it, but I knew it was true. But we also have sometimes, yeah, I did. So anyway, I've come a long way. You know, my whole job here, Rob, is to give people right. hope. Like if I can accomplish it's, a couple little things and people who really know me are like, wow, man, I'm going to just dominate the world. So Right. <laughs> uh, but sometimes, though, we might get feedback from a 360 that we don't agree with. Right. And I honestly think it's a skill of a leader to process that because you might, as a, let's say you're my subordinate and you give me some feedback. I don't agree with that. I think Rob's just all wet, right? Right. Well, guess what? What if I acknowledge that that feedback is probably true for Rob? He's not just saying that to kind of be a jerk or be, be manipulative, but this is actually, he gave this feedback and it, it is how he's experiencing me. And if I really want to be my best, it doesn't mean I have to make changes personally. Maybe I'm not being wrong, but in working with Rob or somebody like Rob or his personality, there is something there that for me to bring out the best in Rob, I might have to do differently. And guess what? we might have to change. And then the question is, hey, this leadership brand, how I'm being perceived, is that the kind of person that they're going to put into that next role? And if it's not, I definitely going to have to make some changes. So, you know, I, had, I was hiring an individual to work on my staff, right? I've known this individual for quite a couple of years, but I knew how his peers and his subordinates felt about him. Mm. You know, great worker. He'll make money for an organization. He's a you know, great NCO. So now I pulled him into the technical office. expert, great work technical ethic. expert, expert. Yeah. Anything you want, he'll, yeah. that's the man for you. But nobody wants to work with this individual. Mm. He was arrogant. He was cocky. Mm. You know, he'll brag about how much he knows. So yes, you probably good at it, but everything's a team sport. You know, there's no such thing as a one person cheerleading squad. You know, you can cheer all you want. Like, give me an A. If nobody responds, that cheer is dead. So you need teamwork. So 
I've sat him down and I gave him the honest feedback. I know it was tough for him to swallow. I said, hey, you're really arrogant. You are viewed as arrogant. I need for you to work on that. People do not want to work with you. People view you as this. People view you as that. So it was a tough pill for him to swallow. I could tell because, you know, he was a, a sharp person, a sharp person. Because that's not um, how he either saw himself or wanted to see himself, himself, right? He, it wasn't. So then months, he just recently um, left Germany. So he stopped by my office before he left. He says, Chief, that was probably the most important feedback I've ever had. In my, nobody has ever told me that, mm. you know. And I could see the growth in this young man. I could see over the, since he was hired under my staff, I could see the growth in this young man. I've never told no one the conversation I had with him. You know, it's just between me and him. But and he under, it was like a subliminal message that we had with each other. Like, I could see you growing. I was so proud of him um, as mm. he got promoted and moved on to, with his family to another place. And I know he's going to go on and do great things. But sometimes we have to give those hard, honest feedbacks. And it's hard. Well, and I hope everybody just caught something that you just said, Rob, is, you know what, you had this, you saw this. You shared it with him, but you never told anybody else. And I think it is so important that us as leaders, we don't engage in gossip. And that is talking, saying something negative about another person who's not part of the problem or the solution. And I got to tell you, gossip in an organization is absolute cancer. It'll ruin your credibility as a leader. Because if you came just to me, as this guy's peer and just said, yeah, I just had a conversation. Yeah, I know we've kind of noticed that, you know, uh, this guy's a little bit arrogant and, you know, just let me know if he's getting better. Even something subtle like that, man, guess what I'm going to be thinking? Oh, I wonder what he says about me when I'm not there. Yeah, exactly. Or guess what? I might go repeat it. Like as soon as you, as the leader said, it was brought it up. Now it's okay for me to maybe share that because you're doing it, especially if it's in a culture. So right. I, I just think that's so powerful uh, that you've kind of always operated that way that you don't gossip, right? You give that feedback to the person that needs it. You have those conversations. Other than that, guess what? It's nobody else's business because it's between you and that person you're developing. Exactly. Between me and that person, that one-to-one dialogue, that feedback. Because if I was to include another person in it, if I was to tell John how this individual acted, John may and say, hey, I know Chief talked to you about this. So it's that violation of trust. The violation yeah. of trust as a leader, you really don't want to ever do that. Isn't that true? So just as we wrap up, what, just final thoughts out there that you'd like to lead, leave with everybody who's listening. We got people that are running CEOs of huge companies, people that are in the military, people that are running ministries, people that are just working at a blue collar job, but they just want to, you know, live life more fully, bring their faith into the work that they do. So we, we just have amazing people all over the world listening in. Just what are a couple of final thoughts you'd leave with everybody, Rob? And I've captured, we said a lot of things today. And now one thing I want, definitely want to leave people is say, hey, you don't have to change yourself for anybody else. You know, I was in a situation where, you know, in a, it went back to a, a Bible verse that, I, that I, I love to read over and over again. Luke 4 verse 24, it basically saying a prophet is not honored in his hometown. Because as I travel around, you know, all over the world, giving public speaking opportunities, leadership talks to individuals, I never... It just took me recently where I actually gave it in my home base. I never publicly spoke at my home base because people didn't value, didn't think 
it was important. They said, oh, could they see me every day? They well, know it's because they all saw you in high school, and they're like, oh, seriously? <laughs> exactly. This guy, there's no way he could have something to say. But at the same time, that verse, I realized, you know, sometimes it's the people that's closest to you, who you think was closest to you, who's probably not really supporting you, you know? So you really got to look at your, your whole circle of influence, your, your friends and so on like that, and find out who's really there for you. Who's really there to support you, um, to take you to that next level? P- having that feed, who you have, who you love enough to get the honest feedback from. Who can I call on John? To ch- I have faith in John to give me honest feedback, and I won't hold no grudges. I won't wait for him in the parking lot with a ski mask because I, I didn't like the feedback. Um, whatever it is, find that person or find that group of people that you, you know you have that rapport with to give you the honest feedback. Because iron sharpens iron, John, and we all know that. So um, finding that, that good faith, somebody in church, somebody in the softball, somebody in your cricket or your card team or whatever, you got to have that somebody to talk to because we cannot do it alone. Rob, thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I want to let everybody know out there with 30 years of experience and probably every leadership situation that you can think of, and trust me, the, the, what you've done, how you've worked inside of the organization of the Air Force, the situation you've been applies directly to everything businesses are dealing with right now, Rob, across multi-generations, engagement, dealing with conflict, diversity and inclusion. You talked a little bit about that when I heard you speak. So there's just so much value. And I know you're doing a lot more public speaking. If there's somebody out there who's interested in following up with you, seeing what you're doing from a speaking or how you could come in and just help their company, help their leaders our age, develop a better leadership philosophy or onboard, you know, younger leaders faster. There's so much you could do. How could they get in touch with you? Great. Thank you for that plug, John. You know, I'm more than willing to talk to anybody, share some of the life experiences, but it could reach me at my email at robjoseph1914 at gmail. Or they could contact you because I know you have my direct line. You can track me down from wherever I'm at, John. So feel free to contact John who can reach out to me or shoot me an email. I'll be more than willing to elaborate on some of the topics that we discussed today. Hopefully I could bring, shed some light, um, give you some support in leading your, your organization. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And it's Rob Joseph, 1914? Yes, sir, at Gmail. And what's the 1914 from? You'll be surprised. That's the whole story, it's, it's, isn't it? It's not my birth year. It's just a, the year of my college fraternity. That's the reason it was wise there. Oh, I just figured you were just wise beyond your age, man. Oh, yes, I know. <laughs> well, you are. That's true. Awesome. Rob, thank you so much for your time. Please give my love to Lynette and enjoy this transition, you know, out of the Air Force back to uh, Florida. Uh, you guys are building a house. Just some cool things are happening in your life. And I know this next season of your life is just going to be as amazing and unfolding and new experiences as this last season was for you guys. Thank you very much, John. Thank you to you and your family as well, John. Yeah.